make sure you like, subscribe, and hit that bell icon. To let's sip and talk with Freema. I hope everyone's having a great work week. It's hump day. Yes, yes, yes. And remember what I always say for the individuals that's working on the weekend, just be thankful you do have employment. So don't sulk about being a weekend worker. But I hope everybody was productive this week. And remember, kindness does not cost you a thing. Today, we have on a special guest, Miss Larissa Miller. Miss Larissa is a CEO of Phoenix Global, is based out of Miami, Florida. And of course, she's did a plethora of other things, excuse me, on covers of magazines. I like to say she's a humanitarian. She visited all kinds of refugee camps in the Middle East. So I am pleasured to have her on to share her journey. And again, of course, to inspire the ones that feel like they need that little oomph, but need to hear that someone else has actually succeeded at what they may want to do. So without further ado, let's bring on Miss Larissa Miller. Hello, how are you? Hello, Freema. Hi. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out your busy day to come on and talk with me today. So for the viewers that may not know Miss Larissa Miller, could you give us a little um, background of your life story? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> it's been a bit of a schizophrenic and unconventional life. You know, I always say I've done business in a way nobody else has. So I've had opportunities that nobody else has had. And um, I started on, I grew up on a farm in central Pennsylvania outside of Hershey, um, the land of mediocre chocolate, I say, because after living in Europe for so many years, um, it's hard to compare chocolate. But um, I grew up in Hershey, Pennsylvania on a farm. Um, after college, I went to work for the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. Um, spent a few years there with the secretary and deputy secretary of agriculture and then went on to work for Governor Tom Ridge when he was governor of Pennsylvania in his office of public policy. Um, more recently, I spent several years in the Middle East as head of business development for some members of the royal family in Abu Dhabi. And I was also head of their large nonprofit foundation, which worked with women and youth in refugee camps to help them develop opportunities for entrepreneurship. Um, I'm now CEO of Phoenix Global, which is um, an international investment development and consulting firm working in large scale projects on six continents, primarily around technology. Um, my personal priority is for agri-tech. You know, there won't be any other investment in any industry or sector that will make sense if we can't feed ourselves. And um, the future, the nucleus of the future of business is going to be technology. And um, and so that's my priority. I also 
make time to work with entrepreneurs and small business owners, those who want to start businesses or those who need to reframe or reimagine their business models to make them leaders in this very disruptive and transformational future. Um, You know, the future of business belongs to the entrepreneur and the small business person and not the multinational moving ahead in the future. So it's important that we, we cultivate this and, and work together. You know, um, we're never going back to normal because normal was the problem. So now it's time to reimagine the future and we all have a role to play in, in building that together. And, and that's amazing. We're never going back to normal because normal was the problem. I love that. You know, that means so much. And it sounds like you just have a lot on your plate. Like you're just a all around woman, powerful woman that does a lot. How do you maintain um, the multiple hats that you wear? Well, that's always the challenge. And and there's always give and take and ebb and flow. And, um, you know, I have three great kids who are pretty much grown. You know, my daughter's in law school and I have two sons in, in university. And, um, you know, so I make time for them as much as much time as they'll allow me to have at this age. Hanging out with mom isn't exactly the the most fun. Right. But, you know, the future is up to me to build where I go and what I do. You know, nobody else is going to get me there but me. But you and, um, you know, I look for opportunities. I believe that that the only way we can better ourselves, the only way we can make life different than the way it is today, if we want it to be different, is to find ways that we can embrace progress. And, um, and, and, you know, every single day you can start fresh. And I say, if I make a mess of today, I'm going to forgive myself and start fresh with the sunrise. And, you know, the stone age didn't end because we ran out of stones. It ended because of progress. Absolutely. And that is a fundamental that applies to all of us, you know, in our lives, you know, we don't have to stay where we're at. We have the opportunity to, to completely shift and move forward in a new direction. And, and I put a lot of time and effort in there. You know, it takes hard work to get to be what whatever someone deems as a success exactly. in their life. And that definition is different for everyone, but it takes even harder work to stay there. You're absolutely right. It does take a lot of work, dedication, and, and it's got to be something you want to do. And to me, it has to be like a passion, you know. Oh, so I, I, I see that you have that passion to, you know, assist the upcoming entrepreneurs. And and I want to bring up, you know, something that piqued my interest when you were speaking, the refugee camps. Like, how was that? How, how I mean, I just, I just want to know. I just, just tell it all. <laughs> that, those are the experiences that fundamentally shaped me and made me who I am today. And, you know, how my business ethos is tied to the experiences that I received, not throughout my business career, but throughout the opportunities that I've had to really explore a more humanitarian side. Right. Um, you know, we all have a responsibility now to to give back to the planet. And that's not just hugging the bears and bunnies and trees. That's making sure that we uplift humanity too, you know. It can no longer be us against each other. It has to be us together for a solution. And, you know, I look at the refugee camps and I was very fortunate to be able to go to refugee camps um, at the time on behalf of the the royal family. And I was the only female, the only American 
um, you know, in Iraq and Jordan and Yemen and, and rural areas of Africa. And, you know, these are people who many folks have been conditioned to think of as terrorists or in some way bad. And they're not. They're people who had to migrate through no fault of their own, through circumstances that happened that they themselves did nothing to create. They didn't want to have to 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 leave their homes. Mm-hmm. And um, and they're educated people. In many cases, they're engineers and scientists and doctors. And now they're peddling oranges in a camp mm-hmm. to save their families. And, um, you know, so many of the most important lessons I, I had came from these visits. You know, I was in Mosul, Iraq, and um, the men were off doing doing their thing, whatever the reason that we went. And I was with the Emirates Red Crescent at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I would go and and interact with the women and the children, and um, through no common language, just sheer affection and time, mm-hmm. and um, and the women who lived in tents that were, you know, 10 people to a tent, which we would look at and think were could house no more than three people, would cook dinner for an entire family of 10 on a kerosene cook stove. And it was just a small cake. And they would welcome me into their tent and offer me their food. The mm-hmm. only food they had, they would offer me as a gesture of hospitality. And I think, you know, we live in a land where we have so much. Right. You know, we have every convenience. Food is plentiful. And I think how often would we invite a stranger in and offer them our food? And yet here are people that have nothing and they were offering me everything they had just as a gesture of kindness and hospitality. And, you know, there was a little girl that stayed with me the entire day. She held my hand. She walked with me. Her, She had a death grip on the side of my pants. Didn't want to be separated from me. You know, touch and affection were our only common language. And at the end of the day, one of my Emirati friends asked her. And now keep in mind, she's sitting there in mismatched clothes. And she has two different shoes on. And he asked her, what do you want? And she looked up with the biggest smile and said, I don't want anything. I have everything I need. And at that moment, it was really powerful because we have everything we need, but yet we want more. And yet we want more. more. New video game. We'll be happier when we get the bigger house. We'll be happier when we get that next car. We'll be happier when we get that next promotion. And we fail to realize that everything we need, we have right now. Mm -hmm. And and we just need to look around and, and be grateful that we have it because so many people out there have a lot less than we do. And, and are much more content than we are. How did that make you feel, Larissa? And I know it just kind of filled you up with tears and sorrow, but how did you hold that in if you did? You know, like, what did that do for you internally when she just grabbed your leg or or to show that she's grateful for everything she has? Look, there are so many of these stories. A young, a young six-year-old girl in a refugee camp in um, Jordan who came in and sang for us, and she had the voice of an angel. And one of the workers had tears rolling down her face mm-hmm. while the girl was singing. And and I got to talking with her, and I found out that that little girl watched her mother and father being killed right in front of her in Aleppo, and she was left as a, a true orphan, and she's passed from tent to tent every night because no one family in the camp can afford another mouth to feed. And yet she has the biggest smile on her face. And if that young girl can find a reason to smile, there isn't any reason that we all can't find a reason to smile every day. And, 
you know, I, I tried to looked into adopting a young boy at a ref, at an orphanage in Morocco when I visited there because he touched my heart and we just had this connection and he had the biggest smile. And um, when I would arrive, he would run and it would be a, a big hug and right in my arms and, and I couldn't. And because of the, the laws of that particular country and, and, you know, that just further fueled my fire to make sure that we give youth around the world as many opportunities as we can and expose them to as much as we can so that they can envisage a future beyond their immediate circumstances. But it's up to us to, to be the ones to drive that. So, you know, as much as my life is focused around serious business, right. it's the experiences that I've had with those who gave me the greatest lessons that have shaped my way of doing business and the way I see humanity and the priorities that I assign to, um, to empowering people who need just a bit of hope. You know, um, if I can be the voice of hope for someone, then I think my life will have been a success. And I don't measure that by how successful my business is, but, you know, by how many people, I can potentially lead to a better life. Right. And if you don't mind me asking, Larissa, you mentioned that, you know, and you're such a powerful woman, but you mentioned you couldn't adopt the little boy because of certain laws. What was it that I don't want to say you were missing or what were the laws that uh, prohibited you from adopting him? Well, in Morocco, you had to be a male, a family member, Muslim and Moroccan. And I didn't meet any of those criteria. Now that particular little boy was found in a cave. Um, his his it's a it's a horrific story. His mother was actually trying to eat him as an infant, and he was found um, in, in time. You know, doesn't remember very well. Well, you know, um, you know he's. I mean, his name is Saeed. He's just an amazing little boy, but. You know, he was the happiest little kid, adapted to his circumstances, doesn't remember that. But, you know, it's just one of millions and millions of stories. You know, there was a little boy in Yemen that after I sat with a whole bunch of kids and we had this impromptu English lesson, teaching them colors, just based on pointing at colors and teaching them. And we ended with, I love you. I went to take a selfie with him and I held up my phone and took a picture and he had never seen a phone or a camera that captured his image. So the, the, the snapshot I have of him is he was up right in the camera. And at, you know, at this moment, what sparked in his mind that could lead him to be the next great inventor? What great innovation is trapped in that young mind that that spark was just lit in this one moment today. And, um, you know, we don't have to go to refugee camps. We don't have to go to Africa. We don't have to go to the Middle East to find youth that really could benefit from, from people being the voice of hope for them. We just have to make the time. And so many people sit, you know, in their home and they watch documentaries or TV or they read the news and they say, you know, I'd love to mentor someone. And then they get about their business and life moves on and they never make the time for it. And it's just, and, you know, I challenge everybody, if you just make the time to be that voice of inspiration for somebody, it will 
impact and change you far more than it will be the person that you're trying to impact. So I agree a hundred percent because that's the whole reason, you know, blessed and talk with friendly. Yeah. We cut up, you know, on Friday nights and stuff, but just to, to hear people's story, to learn from each other and get the inspiration that some of us need. You are amazing, Larissa. Mm -hmm. Like you've blown me away. I didn't expect to get all, oh my goodness, you know, in this interview, but just to hear some of those stories and, and things of the refugee camps, I feel if some of us could just experience that, we would be so much grateful with what we have because all we do is complain and won't, like you said, want more and more. And hey, you know, I I look at women and you know, women are the rule breakers, the change makers, we're the glass ceiling breakers. And you know. Too often still women sabotage one another rather than support one another. And yet we have so much power and there's so many women out there. There's 400 voiceless women who live around the world in poverty, you know, underworked, undervalued, underestimated, underpaid. And, you know, if we just would take a, take the time to lead one another and uplift one another and support one another. And sometimes all that means is, just having a kind word for one another. Yes. You know, surround yourself with women who would mention your name in a room full of opportunities. That's that's something I believe, you know, fully. And um, and yet we still struggle and we get in our own ways and we're the ones that throw the landmines in front of ourselves. And yet imagine what we could do if we came together. Absolutely. And I just wonder sometimes, and I know neither one of us have the answer, but why is that? Why do women, you know, sabotage one another? Why we feel we can't come together to help pull each other up? Is it a jealousy thing, you think? Is it something that you don't want the next person to outdo you? I just wish I knew. You know, I think in a time and place, it was probably because opportunities were very hard to come by for women. It, you know, if there was one opportunity available and there were multiple women, it was really a scrap to the top. But I'll tell you that when you empower and uplift a woman, it doesn't diminish you because that will eventually that woman will be you. And, you know, women still tend to say, you know, we have this glass ceiling to break, which I hate, you know, and, you know, my thing is, if there's not a seat for you at the table, pull a seat up. Pull a seat up. You know, if we sit back and wait, if we don't support one another, we're still going to be having these conversations in two more generations. Right. And that's going to be our grandchildren that are saying it. So we have to be the ones to change the rhetoric and the conversation. And this applies not just to women. This applies, you know, to us. It, with our divergent political parties. And this applies to us, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, it can't be us against each other. It has to be us together, together. for the solution. Yes. You know, there is nothing different between me and you, Freema. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, 100%. we all came from the same place. Our color, the color of our skin is different because we migrated different places. Right. This is what people forget. You know, every single one of us has the power to be the change maker. Every single one of us has the power to reshape our own future. You know, don't worry about trying to impact all of humanity. Just worry about making a difference in your own life. Make yourself yeah. a better, kinder person. And that doesn't necessarily mean 
you know, being kind always to other people, that means that sometimes we have to learn how to be kinder to ourselves. And, and women are very, you know, this, I speak to women when I say that, be kind to yourself. We, we definitely need to be. We have to be kind to ourselves so we'll know how to be kind to others. And, and to be honest, to know what we should accept. Do you get what I'm saying? Like we, we need to know what we should accept as women. We have to teach our little people. That's our next generation. You know, when we were old, and you know, 80s, 90s, we have our generation that needs to be brought up in a way of respect, kindness, have good ethics, integrity. But this and is where we have to work together because to work together. that little voice of doubt that still creeps into us where, you know, if if we're a businesswoman we, and, we, and mentally we set our price at 10 p.m. before we go to sleep, this is what I'm going to charge. And we wake up at 3 a.m. and now we're thinking, oof, that's too much. Yeah, or, I think I need to back that off just a little bit. We need to learn how to tell that little voice to back off. To back off. We have every right. We have all the same value that anybody else charging that price would be. And, um, and that's something we can help each other to do. This is really where we need to come together because we don't want our daughters to still be having this conversation in another 20 years. No, exactly. We need to take, like you said, time. We need to take that time out and, and speak, yeah. it, you know, and speak to our children. And, and I really, you know, wish that some people would accept others speaking to their children, you know, because you say it's, it's, it takes a village to raise a child, but we know there are some parents out there that does not like their child spoken to, you know, or corrected and, and that kind of make it hard. But if we can all come together, y'all make sure y'all share this video. Larissa has shared some powerful, powerful knowledge with us. We need to work together. We need to come together and, and make this thing happen. Let's, let's build the world up. One the only way we're going to fix the problems that we have right now is if we raise kids who have a belief in themselves, who have tolerance and empathy and kindness and no longer see, you know, differences in our political beliefs and differences in our the color of our skin yes. and the languages that we speak. And, you know, we have to stop making gross generalizations about people and and cultures and ethnicities that we don't understand. And, you know, people are afraid of what they don't know. So we have to expose our kids to, you know, what it means to be diverse. And, you know, what COVID has shown us is that our community is no longer within the proximity of where we live. Our community is the entire world. And it's up to us to make our children brave enough um, and, and, open enough to be able to embrace the diversity that we have around the world, not be afraid of what we don't understand and not just assume that because somebody is different from us, they're less than us. They're more than us. They're, they're, you know, something that we can't be, you know, it's, it's a very inclusive world if we allow it to be. If we allow it to be. Right. And, and, you know, going back to color, the color of our skin, I work in a doctor office, Larissa, and um, one of the physicians there is from Ghana. You know, my father's from Ghana. So we, we talk, you know, or whatever. And he said when he came over, he, he was grown when he came over. He's never I'm not going to say seen a black person, because, but he never seen color. He didn't know he was a black man 
until he came to America where everything was so diverse. You know, you're black, you're white. He said he, he never he never heard that. Everybody was just a person. And I was like, wow. Look, I was in Ghana September of 2019. And I definitely am not Ghanaian. I mean, you look at me, you know it. And I was never made to feel different or, you know, anything less than welcomed. Everyone was so kind. And so, I mean, it was, there were no differences. And I find this all over Africa. I Look, I do business in East Africa, West Africa, and I have never been treated with anything but kindness, respect, hospitality. Um, and uh, short over here. Like, listen, I'm asking you, like, you got all the answers, but where did we fall short? You know, I speak with individuals that come on the show, you know, that played in Japan and stuff. And they say that, you know, everything, like you said, the respect is there. The, the is just orchestrated very well from top to bottom. And then you sit here and we're here in America where a lot of people are trying to get. So everybody makes assumptions about the Middle East, right? The UAE has, um, I believe they're up to 40% of their the, the cabinet ministers are women. 72% of the college graduates are women. They have a minister of tolerance. You know, you think of the Middle East as being one way, and yet you don't realize just how inclusive they are of embracing all cultures and all religions. We could learn so much. And one of the things that we are facing moving forward is the fact that we can't deny that we are in the midst of a very serious planetary crisis. Yes. You know, our burgeoning population, it is going to be in the next 20 years, very difficult for us to have enough food and water for everybody. And we are going to have to look to Africa. Mm -hmm. Africa will be the landmass that saves the world wow. with their arable farmland, the human capital that's in Africa, the natural resources that are in Africa. And, you know, this is a really powerful moment for the black community in America to recognize that they are part of the diaspora of mm -hmm. Africa. Yes. And that we need to now be espousing to our children the fact that we need to depend on one another around the globe. Yeah. We need to have an understanding of one another around the globe. I believe that in universities, we need to be, um, you know, not only teaching business English, well, English is the business language around the world, but we need to be teaching, you know, the culture of business so that we can do business around the world with confidence and, and know what it means or what the expectations of business in Africa or business in the Middle East or business in Latin America is. We just need to work together to make this a much more unified global community because we're global citizens and we're missing that point we're right missing now. It. And that kind of answered the question, believe it or not, we're falling short because are we pushing everybody out? Are we not accepting a global aspect? We're just, we say we are, but we're not. Yeah. We're stuck in one you know, place. We're not spreading our wings. Wow. Larissa, you gave a lot, a lot of valuable information today and it, I, I guaranteed it opened my eyes more, you know, so I know our viewers are kind of like, wow. 
um, especially with everything that you shared with us today. I really appreciate this. You know, it, it wasn't a long, you know, drawn out, it's straight to the point, speaking facts, giving us stuff that we need to hear. And, and I love it. I see that someone said, um, absolutely correct. I love her compassion and honesty about the topic of African-American people now in relationship with Africa. Yes. Yes. That's what we need to start teaching our children. Um, and then also, you mentioned earlier that we were speaking a little bit that you were working with Akon. How, how did that come about? And you went to Africa, right, with him? So Akon's a really remarkable man. I mean, he does so much on a business side and on, you know, the social enterprise side with Akon Lighting Africa. You know, I've I'm very fortunate to be able to call Akon my friend. Um, you know, I've been to refugee camps in the Middle East with him and um, in in Africa. You know, I know him here in the United States. He has some remarkable projects around the world. And, um, you know, he's really one of those individuals that doesn't just talk the talk, but he walks the walk. Just like you, Larissa. And there's always going to be people that will judge him or, you know, look negatively or have those, you know. But at the end of the day, you can't be all things to all people. You can't please everybody. And you just have to decide what your passion and commitment are. And you have to follow that. And that is what Akon does. And I will always be one of his biggest fans and supporters for sure. Wow. That's amazing. You're amazing. This whole conversation was amazing. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. Larissa, something I always ask my guests before we end, um, if there is just something you would say out there to the little Larissa's, the, the little ladies that's walking around that feel like I want to run a global company in the future. I want to, you know, be a humanitarian. What inspirational words would you give them? You know, for me, the biggest impact comes from the smallest gesture. And, um, you know, in my younger years, I chased that, the big impact, you know, you have to climb the ladder, you have to work longer hours, you have to, to be able to set yourself apart from everybody else, you know, you have to make sure you say the right things and dress the right way. And what I find in the end is that it's the ability to make a decision. It's the ability to show acts of kindness to people. And it's the courage to take steps forward that, you know, maybe you're afraid, but it's only when you step out of those bounds that you find the most extraordinary opportunities and you meet the most extraordinary people. It's how I managed to, um, you know, be able to work with the Royal family in Abu Dhabi. It's how I've, you know, been blessed and fortunate to be a part of some really significant projects with some really interesting people. And I just would tell myself, you know, do it with courage because a ship is safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships were built for. So go out into that big sea and, you know, some days it's going to be smooth sailing and some days you're going to be in the midst of that perfect storm. But at the end of the day, it's going to leave you stronger than you were at inception. And, um, and you're going to have extraordinary opportunities. 
Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Larissa. We're going to end that on that great note that she left with us. I see why you're a phenomenal keynote speaker. I see that. <laughs> but I thank you so much, Larissa. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed our conversation. It was great. Can't wait till next time. But without further ado, as we always say, peace and love. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks, Freema. Thanks, everyone. You're welcome. And if you can just stay on shortly after, Miss Larissa. Yeah. Thank you.